You know, sometimes in our life, we have, have bad days. We have days of trouble and days of worry. But when you have a bad day, I want you to think about our old friend, Jeannie Rogers. You're thinking, who? Who's Jeannie Rogers? And why on a bad day should I stop? Think about her. Well, Jeannie Rogers was a woman who lived in Bangkok, Maine. And when she, when, in 1967, Jeannie was on a cruise with her friends. And they were out, as many of us do, on cruises. Well, I don't do cruises because I don't do water because I'm Methodist. Um, as they were out on the cruise, t- looking, at the, looking at the water, Jeannie slipped and fell overboard. And thankfully, she had her life jacket on and she was bobbing in the water where her friend panicked went to tell the, 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 um, the captain of the boat what had just happened, and she slipped and fell out unconscious, hit her head, knocked out. So it wasn't until an hour later that they realized Jeannie was missing, and they turned the boat around and found her in the water, just bobbing up and down, just bobbing up and down. 1971, Jeannie was struck by a bolt of lightning. Lightning went out her ankle, left a hole there, and burned the pantyhose she had on her leg to her leg. 1973, she was struck by lightning again. 1981, her husband came home, intoxicated, and attempted to strangle her. They resolved their issues, as you'll find out more about that in a moment. Uh, Later, in the same year, she was uh, going to to work, and uh, she was mugged. She punched one of the muggers in the nose and and got away. Later, while working at the same job, she and her son were walking down the road and her son looked up up and said, Mom, look, it's a funny bird. It was a bat. The bat came and attacked her and dug his claws into her head. So she then runs from, from, from door to door, knocking on doors, saying, Help, help, and everyone closes the door. Finally, she runs into a friend, and this friend gives her her car keys and said, you need to drive to the vet. So she then proceeds to drive with said bat bat attached to her head to the vet. Or the vet then places a bag on her head and pumps smoke in there to put the bat to sleep, where he's finally removed. And she has to then wear a wig for the next three months because, you know, the bat ripped out most of her hair. And finally... Just when you think um, life can't get any more awesome for Miss Rogers, she, like I said, she's reconciled with her husband. And so she's at, um, she's at the swimming pool, and, her, and she sees a man that looks like her husband walking with some, um, some, uh, his swim trunks on and his, his, some, uh, some jogging pants on. And she thinks, ooh, I'm going to go play a trick on him because she heard somebody say, well, there's Mr. Rogers. So it looks kind of like her husband. And... Um, and so she's going to go up to him, and, you know, as you like to do sometimes with your friends, she's going to pull his pants down. So she goes up to Mr. Rogers and pulls his pants down, except it's not her husband. It's actually Mr. Rogers. Yes, she pulled down Mr. Rogers' pants at a public swimming pool. When you think you're having a bad day, think about Jeannie Rogers. 
it could always be worse. All that's true. You can, you can Google Jeannie Rogers and find out I didn't just make up a bit of that story. Naomi did not have a bat attack her, which would be pretty painful, I would imagine. But she had a lot of other stuff in her life go wrong. We see it. We see it first in the beginning of Ruth 1 when Scripture says that a famine came upon the land. And so Emelech, with his husband, with his wife, Naomi, and their two children, they, what they did in that culture, it was a very nomadic culture. They didn't have mortgages back then. They did have land, but people were always moving. And when a famine came to part of the land, they wouldn't move a lot. So particularly with Moab being part of the greater land of Israel. So it would not have been, it had been like for us, a hurricane's hitting the coast and you come up to Jackson to get out the way. They, it was something very common for them. So, so, uh, so Imelech and his family leave Bethlehem and go to Moab. And there, so first, a famine's a pretty bad thing to happen to you. Then they get to Moab and Imelech dies. So this leaves Naomi destitute. There's really no way you can provide for yourself. She does have two sons. So she gives her two sons in marriage to Oprah and to Ruth. And then 10 years later, her sons die. So Ruth and about a, we don't know exactly how long, but at least a 10 year period, perhaps longer, lost her home because they had to flee from Bethlehem because of famine, lost her husband, and then lost her two sons. Perhaps that's not as bad as Jeannie Rogers, but that's a lot of loss. I used to joke when you read the book of Job, you know, the person who has the worst line in the book is Job's wife, where it says she comes and looks at Job and says, you should curse God and die. I've often said you can't find that in the Hallmark greeting card section. There's no curse God and die card. But as I read the story of Job longer and talked with more friends, I realized the reason why Job's wife was so broken was because everything Job lost, she lost tenfold. So she lost everything. It's like Naomi. Naomi lost everything. Lost her home. Lost her means of provision. Lost her husband. Now lost her two sons. And notice a word. I always think of something Sam Moore's taught me. Sam always said in Scripture, when you see a word, pay, att- you know, pay attention to what Scripture says. It's God's word. It's God's true, true word. So pay attention to what Scripture says. But then... In Scripture, if you see a word mentioned more than once, you see it mentioned twice or three times, that's that's God's highlighter. That's God's way of saying, pay attention here. Pay attention to this. So, as we read Ruth 1, did you see a word that Naomi used a couple times to describe her condition, describe how she felt? Bitter. The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. He has visited me with calamity and with death. Later, when they go to Bethlehem, 
The scripture says, the women come out to meet her and say, Naomi's here, Naomi's here, Naomi says, no, 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 do not call me Naomi. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with me, call me Mara. Mara is the Hebrew word for bitter. Naomi has lost everything. She's bitter. She's bitter at God. She feels like God has laid this upon her. I wonder why. I wonder why Naomi felt so strongly that all of this loss and all this pain and all this hurt, that this was in some ways God's judgment, God's punishment to her, that the Lord is dealing bitterly with her for some reason. I wonder why she felt that. Now, part of that could be that was the prevailing thought of the Jewish people. But I think there's more. I think there's more. Brian asked Max how, how well he knew uh, his Old Testament this morning. Let me ask you, the congregation this morning, how well you know your Old Testament. Are you familiar with Deuteronomy 23, verse 3? Probably not. I wasn't. You know what the command of Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law? If you remember your Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, Exodus and Leviticus is where the law was given to the first generation. That generation rebelled against God. So then the law is given again, Deuteronomy, a second giving of the law to the children as they prepare to go into the land, the promised land. So Deuteronomy is the second giving of the law to the people. So in Deuteronomy 23, 3, there's a very specific command that God gives the people. You know what that command is? You shall not intermingle and you shall not marry anyone that is a Moabite. The Moabites were the descendant of Lot. If you remember the story of Lot after he was rescued and things kind of got weird from there. Moabites were the descendants of Lot. In in Deuteronomy 23, verse 3 says this. No Ammonite or Moabite shall be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. Even to the tenth generation, none of their descendants shall be admitted into the assembly of the Lord. Because they did not meet you with food and water on your journey out of Egypt. And because they hired against you Balaam, son of Beor, from Perthra from Mesopotamia, to curse you. Scripture's clear. Don't intermingle. Don't intermarry the Moabites. So, where did Amalek and Naomi flee when the famine came? Moab. And who did Amalek and Naomi Allow their sons to marry Moabites. I wonder, I wonder if Naomi's thinking, well, of course, this is what happens. <laughs> of course, we broke the law. <laughs> we, we did the very thing that Deuteronomy said not to do in a time of fear and of doubt. And a famine, we did the very thing that the scriptures explicitly tell us not to do. Not only did we leave Bethlehem, not only did we leave our people out of doubt and fear and famine, not only did we leave home, but we went to the one place that we're told not to go. 
And not only when we got there to the one place we weren't supposed to go, we did the one thing Scripture tells us not to do. We let our sons marry Moabites. Of course. Of course God's going to kill my husband. Of course God's going to. Of course God's going to kill my sons. Of course the Lord's going to deal bitterly with me. Look what I've done. That's why she tells her, her daughter-in-law, go. No, don't go with me. No, nothing good can come from you coming with me. Look at what I've done and look at how the Lord's punished me. Go back to your homes. Perhaps, and notice she says, find safety and security. Because you come with me. And look what I've done. Of course it ends this way. Of course it does. I was talking with a friend of mine recently about a family in their church. They have a family in their church that's an unconditional uh, marriage. The the wife is Christian, and uh, the husband is uh, another religion. He is he's Hindu, and the the Hindu husband has begun coming to church recently. Um, It all kind of started when. uh, the wife was diagnosed with a pretty, um, pretty advanced and severe form of cancer. And as any husband would do, he was obviously worried and scared and afraid for his wife. But, but he carried a special burden in this situation. Because being Hindu, he believes in karma. He fully believes that it is his negative karma. It's his negative action that has caused his wife to have cancer. He's devastated because he believes the things that he have done wrong has now been visited upon his beloved wife. Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Lord has dealt bitterly with me. We've all been there, haven't we? Maybe not to the extreme of my friend's church member. Maybe not to the extreme of Ruth and Naomi. But we've all in our life felt shackled and entombed and encaged by past mistakes. We've all felt some overriding sense of guilt in our life, some overriding sense of hurt in our life, some overriding sense of shame in our life. We've all, we've all been there. Who hasn't been there? That's part of the human condition. We've all been there. And, and here's the thing. What we do first is we try to explain it away. Well, it's really not that bad. I really haven't messed up. These really aren't mistakes. And so we try to explain that away. But here's the reality. That, that doesn't work. We've all hurt someone. Every one of us. Maybe not on purpose. But we've all done that. We've all been like Ruth and said, I know, I know. Scripture's clear that I shouldn't do this. But I'm going to do it anyway. Like Naomi and Emelech. We've all done that. 
And so what we do is we first try to rationalize and make it not that bad and explain it away. But yet still the, the, the weight lies upon us. And we know. So what I'm here to tell you this morning, friends, is we are all guilty. Every one of us. I mean, every one of us has done something wrong. Every one of us has some deep, dark secret that we don't want anybody to find out about. Every one of us. That's part of the human condition. That's reality. I'm not saying that fact makes you the worst person ever lived. What I'm saying is it makes you human. It's part of the human condition. We're all broken. But here's the thing, y'all. Instant karma's going to get you. Going to lick you right in the face. Better get yourself together and join the human race. If I could sing, I'd have sang that to you, but I don't sing. I was thinking about that John Lennon song as I wrote this sermon. We don't believe in karma. Karma says you do bad things, bad things are going to happen to you. You do good things, good things are going to happen to you. We don't believe in karma. We believe in grace. Grace says this. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our sins. And the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Upon him was laid the iniquities of us all. The iniquities are real. The, the, the pain is real. The hurt is real. But God in his love did not put that upon us, but he pawned it upon his beloved son, Jesus Christ. We do not get what we deserve, but through Jesus Christ, we get grace. We get mercy. We get hope if we will only accept it. You do not have to stay entombed in the sins of your past. You don't have to stay entombed in the guilt of your past. You don't have to stay entombed in the sins of your present. And you don't have to stay entombed in the guilt of your present. Through Jesus Christ, you can be forgiven. And not just forgiven in an intellectual way. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole? Again, nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. It's made me white as snow. No other fountains I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. You can be forgiven not just on an intellectual level. But you can actually be free. You can actually let go. You can actually be restored. You can actually be new. We don't believe in instant karma. We believe in amazing grace. And I've seen it. I've seen lives change. And I've seen hearts change. And I'm not talking about in some internet search like Jeannie Rogers. 
I used to tell people before I met Jesus, uh, I used my amazing sense of humor. You know, I'm always funny. Um, I used my humor not for good but for evil. You know what I was when I was growing up and in high school? I was a bully. I was mean. I was. I knew how to hurt folks with humor. I could find their weakness, and I'd pick at it, and I'd pick at it, and I'd pick at it. I was awful. And uh, one guy in particular I was pretty harsh to growing up. And a few years later, a few years ago when I was in Pedal, um, he and his wife started coming to my church. And he got saved. And I baptized him. Before I baptized him, I confessed to the church how when we were growing up, I was awful to him. And he, was, and he was a better person than me then. He's a better person than me now. And I was able to be free of that guilt I felt for many years for the cruelty that I had shown to this young man. We serve a God of resurrection who calls us out from the grave. Not just the grave of death, but the grave of guilt. Today, he's calling. Today, will you come out? Let's pray.